0: Uh, This morning, uh, we are so thankful that you are here today, and as always, it's an honor for me to come and open up God's Word to you today. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, and we are going to continue in our series 12 essential conversations that every parent needs to have in order to raise up the next generation with a biblical worldview. And the reason why we've been dealing with these issues is because so many things that are inside of the design and plan of God for His children are under attack today. Uh, And in order for us to raise up children in the days ahead, parents and grandparents, in order for us to see the next generation raised up in the days ahead, to be a people who live their lives to honor God and His Word, we have to be intentional to teach them the truths of God's Word and then also to travail in prayer for a movement of God among the next generation. And, church family, I want to say this to you today. I believe that God absolutely wants to do a work in the next generation. I, when I walk through the halls of Mortimer Jordan High School, when I drive by uh, North Jefferson and Warrior Elementary, when I go by Bryan Elementary School, and I think about the next generation in this community, there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that the holy God of the universe, the one true God and His Son Jesus, wants to see the hearts and lives of every one of those children saved, born again, and walking in the truth of what He has for them. And the question is not whether or not God wants to do it as or not we want to see it done. And so I think one of the main ways we're going to do that is to, to travail in prayer and then also to teach the truths of God's Word. If you're just joining us in this series, you can go online to our website and you can catch all of the uh, messages we've, we've done leading up to this. But thus far, the essential truths that we've looked at is that there is a one true God, God created all things. God created man in His image. God gave man dominion over the earth. God designed humanity in His image to be expressed as male and female. And this morning, the essential truth we're going to talk about today is that God loves children and desires humanity to have children. And so look with me, Genesis chapter 1, this is just after, in verse 28, just after God has created Adam and Eve and we're going to read through the remainder of Genesis chapter 1, this is day 6 of creation. It says, And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Underline that in your Bibles there. And subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds over the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed it shall be for food for you. And every beast of the earth and every bird of the sky to everything that moves on the earth which has life I have given every green plant for you as food and it was so God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Our main truth this morning is that Christian parents must teach the next generation that God loves children and desires children and desires humanity to have children. Here in Genesis 1, we see the very first command of the Bible given from God to humanity, and it was the command to be fruitful and multiply. And all said amen to that. Come on, y'all can do better than that. Be fruitful and multiply. Say amen. amen. And all that goes along with that, amen. And fill the earth. Here in this passage, there is virtually no question as to what God meant when he was calling Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. This was God's command to go procreate, go and make babies. And he clarified the extent to which he desired Adam and Eve to, to fulfill this command and to their descendants after them saying, go and fill the earth. Now, there are without, without doubt several truths that we can see about God and his design from this text. But the main thing we need to see here is that God's first command to humanity in the scripture was for them to go be fruitful and multiply. And then followed up by the qualifier that says, and fill the the earth, which is essentially God's permission to us to go have babies, and would ultimately, with great assurance, saying God loves children, and his desire is for humanity to have children. And this is the truth that we must pass on to the next generation. And we'll talk about this in the latter part of our sermon today. But this is a truth that is absolutely under attack today among the next generation. We are seeing birth rates all over the world that are continually decreasing. It seems like the, the more the world gets civilized, the less and less we are having children. And this is outside of God's will and God's design. And so for us to be able to raise up children to honor God, it will be to raise up our children to go and have children and to celebrate having children. So like we've done every uh, message in this series, for us to be able to have these type of conversations we need to be able to answer three questions about God's love for children and His desire for humanity to have children. So first, question number one. Where do we see the truth that God desires humanity to have and celebrate having children? Now, before we jump into this, I want to give a quick little disclaimer this morning. We're going to cover this in a few weeks, but it's worth mentioning that according to God's design, The best situation for which a child to be born is to a mother and father who are bound together in marriage. Now we all know that this is not always the case. God calling Adam and Eve to go be fruitful and multiply meant that He gave to humanity the ability to procreate through sexual intimacy with instructions on when and how He desired this to take place, which is clearly seen inside the bounds of heterosexual monogamous marriage. But we all know that as sinful people, we don't always follow these commands. In these situations, when people do not follow God's commands and God's desire for sexual intimacy and a child is conceived, according to God, that child is still a blessing and a gift from God because it bears the image of God. And it came about through the processes of sexual intimacy that God created, even if the surrounding circumstances do not line up with God's plan. We see these types of situations... All over the scripture, by the way. We see Bathsheba gave birth to David's son out of an adulterous moment. We see Tamar gave birth to a child via her father-in-law through prostitution. There are several other examples inside of biblical history where a child was conceived that was outside of what would be considered good and right in the eyes of God. However, in these situations, these children, no matter how broken the situation is they are still precious in the sight of God and they also should be in the sight of man. If you are here this morning and you've had a child out of wedlock, God still loves you. And God still loves your child and your child is still a gift from God. He would not have you walk in shame or that child walk in shame. Absolutely, the act needs to be repented of. Just like all sexual failures and acts need to be repented of, but it is not a perpetual sin. God loves you and God loves that child. Can I get an amen to that this morning? Now, with that being said, let me give you three ways we see God's love for children and having children in the Scripture. First, the Scriptures clearly show that having children is a prescription for humanity we use the term prescription we need to understand it means command or law it is given by God to God's people that we should go and have children and there's no clearer place than to see the very first command that God gives to humanity is the command to be fruitful and multiply we see it here in Genesis 1 28 but Genesis 1 is not the only place we see that command we also see it in Genesis chapter 9 that God said to Noah and his sons in Genesis 9-1, Go, be fruitful, and multiply. And then in verse 7 of Genesis chapter 9, we see God saying it to Noah and his family again. Be fruitful and multiply. Populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. Now the command to be fruitful and multiply is broken down into those two verbs there. Being fruitful, the idea of going and being fruitful, has always been in Scripture that which comes forth from you That it's good to you and to others. That's the idea of bearing fruit. And we see that that's always in Scripture been an example of a woman's womb giving birth. In Luke chapter 1 verse 42, when Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, sees Mary for the first time while she is with child with Jesus, Elizabeth says to her, blessed are you Mary among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And the idea to multiply means to make numerous, to make Many. Clearly, this means that humanity was called to go and fill the earth. Both in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 9, we see God is doing fresh starts in humanity. And in both cases, God goes, tells them to go and have children. Now, some might say, well, Pastor Zach, that happened during a season, during a moment where there were no people on the earth in Genesis 1 and then after the flood. And so, surely God's command to go be fruitful and multiply only pertains to that season in life. But now, since the world is so populous, then that command is not necessarily a command anymore. It's still situational. Well, the problem with that is, is that doesn't line up with all of the truth of Scripture. God has given us, as human beings, in our design, the ability to procreate, the ability to have children. Part Having children is part of the overall human experience that is inside God's design. There are things about having children that can show us parts of God that we would not otherwise see in its fullest display. God refers to himself as father because he knew that us people, as people who have fathers and can be fathers, that we could see that. And so again, the idea that God has called us to... Go and be be fruitful and multiply. Absolutely, it has an aspect to it where we are called to populate the earth. But that's not the primary function in that. The primary function is that God created us in his design with the perpetual ability to have children because it's God's will and desire for us and for the majority of his people. Another example of why God's command to be fruitful and multiply is still part of God's desire for the majority of humanity, and let me say this for a moment, I'll explain in a moment why I say the majority of humanity and not the entirety, is because of God's design in marriage, sexuality, and procreation, that they're all linked. Now bear with me, hear me follow my process here, enter into my mind this morning. Church, here for a moment. We know that God created human beings with the ability to be fruitful and multiply. We know that God created the means by which we are fruitful and multiply, which is sexual intimacy. We know that God created us, the vast majority of us, as sexual people with sexual desires. We know that God's design for sexual expression is exclusively bound to the place of marriage. We know that God designed marriage to be something that the vast majority of us would walk in. You say, well, Brother Zach, how do you... Justify that, Matthew chapter 19, verse 11. After Jesus' teachings on marriage, his disciples asked asked him, is it not better than to not marry? But Jesus seemingly leads into the fact that this would not be true for the majority of humanity. He said, not all men can accept this statement, but only to those whom it's been given. Now singleness is a special gift given by God to some people for a season... And to some people for a lifetime. But the scriptures affirm that this is not the majority of people. God desires the vast majority of us to be married. So again, God created us as sexual people with sexual desires inside, to only be expressed inside the bounds of marriage. Marriage is something that the vast majority of us should walk in. We also know that the, uh, the possibility of contraception has only been a possibility for the last century or so. Thus, God created us with the ability to procreate through the means of sex, which we desire to be expressed in the bounds of marriage, which most of us, God, would have to be married. Hence, people should be having babies. Hence, babies is part of God's design you're welcome for health class 101 this morning either in God's direct command that is still in effect be fruitful and multiply or in God's design we see that it is still a command God still wants us as his people to have babies it is part of the regular life experience of human beings it is part of our responsibility So, again, the first thing we see is it is a prescription for God's people. Secondly, the Scriptures clearly teach that us having children is a prize to humanity. Like all the things that are inside God's design, if God commands us to do something, it is something that will be for our good in His glory. Having children is also this way. God's command for the majority of His people to have children, and having children is meant to be a gift to us, a prize for our parents... And grandparents, amen to that Grandparents here today. There are several ways that we see that having children is a gift to God's people. We see here in Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 that the context actually of God calling Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply is in the context of blessings. Look there, God blessed them and God said be fruitful and multiply. The idea of going and having children was inside of the balance of a blessing to God's people. It was meant to be a gift given to them. In Jeremiah chapter 23, when the prophet is speaking of a day of restoration for God's people, after their discipline, he's going to bring them back home. And in Jeremiah 23, 3, he says, Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them and bring them back to their pasture, and there they will be fruitful and multiply. Part of the promise of restoration out of discipline was that God was going to bless them with having children. And then finally, probably the greatest passage that shows us what a gift having children is is Psalms 127 verse 3 that says, Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Church, we need to know that at no place in biblical history was having a child considered anything other than a joy. John chapter 16, verse 21, Jesus uses the joy of childbirth as a divine illustration. He says, whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that that child has been born into the world. The Bible makes it clear that babies have always been considered blessings. And so thirdly, the Scripture teaches us that having children is pleasing to God. Now, as we mentioned earlier, being fruitful and multiplying is a command given by God that is applicable to the vast majority of humanity. And anytime we do what God desires, it is pleasing not only to us, but to Him. I believe that us having children is pleasing to God because humanity is God's greatest masterpiece and God is involved in the sculpting and shaping of every human being on earth. Psalms 139 verses 13 and 14 speaks of God's work within the womb. It says, For you have formed my inward parts. You have wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. According to Scripture, every child that comes into this earth is a masterpiece of God that displays the image of God in a special and unique way. Children please the heart of God. God loves babies. Now, let me make an important statement before we move on any further. We need to address those people who are married who are who do not have children this morning. Now, usually, individuals in these situations broke up, break into kind of four different categories uh, that I've seen in ministry. There are those who struggle. There are those who have strongholds. There are those who deal with secrets. And then there are those who are dealing with sin. The struggles aspect are those people who deal with infertility. And I have dealt with and had this close to my own home and family uh, and this is a very trying and very broken season. And I would say that if you're in that situation, you do not need to be in that situation alone. A lot of times people in this situation they have questions, why am I not able to conceive when we desire this? Or people around us are conceiving, why not me? And I would say we don't always understand God's plan in these things. We do know that brokenness in the world is part of that. God intended us to be able to have children. It's part of our design. But brokenness and sin in the world, just like cancer, just like everything else that we deal with, sometimes affects that. But at the same time, God is sovereignly in control. And He can walk with you through that season. He can soothe your broken heart. And then God can even bring beautiful things out of that. God may lead you to some other God-honoring means uh, of of building your family. Maybe through adoption and foster care and things like that. But if you're struggling here today, I also want you to know another thing. You are not not having children today because you've sinned or done something wrong. Uh, That's poor theology. Nowhere in Scripture do we see the disciplining hand of God upon people that they don't know what it's for, okay? And so that's not the case. But if you're here this morning and you're in that season of struggle, we see you, we know you, we love you, we want to pray for you, we want to believe for you. My prayer this morning as I prepared this message was to pray that even today that God would open wombs this morning. And so maybe that's you here today. And then there are those who have strongholds, those who could have children but they've chosen not to have children. But they've chosen not to, maybe because they had terrible childhoods. Maybe they had terrible parenting or they had lies spoken into them, or maybe they just have incredible financial debt or things, and there's so many other lies that they believe that would say to them they are disqualified from having children. They're dealing with strongholds in their life. Maybe they were divorced previously, and so now they feel like that they can or something. Let me say another thing to you this morning that if you're in that place today invite some pastoral help. Invite some Christian help around you to help you wait into that. God may be wanting to set you free. And then there may be some of those here today who are just dealing with some secrets. And when I say secrets, it's just personal. You don't have children here today. You're married and you don't... Nobody in the world knows why you don't, but only you do. And I would say that God sees right where you are. Don't walk that hard season alone. Don't walk in this situation alone. Invite people into that who can pray for you. But then lastly, I would say... That we do need to address those married couples who do not have children because of sin or selfishness. I can't tell you how many marriages that I have counseled where people were having problems in their marriage because one of them wanted a child or wanted more children and the other uh, in the equation that they said that they didn't want more children because they wanted to enjoy life more. And also, according to recent research, more and more young people are choosing not to have kids in favor of living a better, more financially free life. Let me say to you today that if you are married and you can have children, then this is not your decision to make exclusively by yourself. You should humbly seek God and invite Him into this discussion Yes, children are expensive. Yes, raising children is difficult. In the first service, my wife got the text, had to go to the nursery to discipline one of our children to come back into service. We understand this world. But for the vast majority of people, God still wants us to have children. And sometimes we may be saying no to something that we haven't consulted God on yet. And then, lastly, let me say this. Church, these are just very few of the very sensitive, very personal nature of this situation. And I want to say this today. You do not have the right to invite yourself into these conversations with other people unless you have been invited. You don't have the right to look down on married people who do not have children. You do not have the right to speak about that unless you are invited into that conversation. Love and respect these people because honestly, only they and they alone know that and that's between them and God. Can I get an amen there? But I would say to you that if you are in one of these positions today, and you do need some help, reach out to one of our pastors or Christian friends and let us know how we can help you. But with that being said, question number two. So where do we see the truth that God desires humanity to have and celebrate having children in our world? This is to say, where do we see that having children is just seen as a good thing in our world? Let me give you two main ways we can see where having children is good, is a good thing in the world. First... If we look in our world, we can see it can be seen that having children is a good thing emotionally for people. We see this in a couple of different ways. First, our human's emotions seem to flourish when we have children. Studies show that among people who are not having children, that they seem to experience greater levels of loneliness and depression. While in places where people are having children, they seem to be experiencing greater levels of joy and satisfaction in life. Dean Burnett said in a 2021 article in Science Focus, he said, essentially, the evidence we have suggests that having children can make you happier. Now, he also dealt with the fact that there's seasons where it can make you much sadder. But overall, it can make you happier. Teddy Roosevelt, some of you this morning would say, really? Hey, bro, come on now. <laughs> it, it's true. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt said this. For unflagging interest and enjoyment, a household of children certainly makes all other forms of success and achievement achievements lose their importance by comparison. Isn't that good? He said, "Having children, having a house full of kids, just makes everything else not seem that important." While parenting is absolutely the hardest job on the earth, and it is, by the way, and always, it always has been one of the most rewarding. Robert Lewis said, nothing adds more value and worth to your life other than knowing and serving Jesus than being a parent. He said, being a mom or dad is the only job that you will ever have where you are irreplaceable. Think about that. you got a job, you've got a position, you teach something, you teach a Sunday school class. If you quit, we love you. We'll have to find somebody else. You know, if you have a job, and if you get laid off, man, somebody's going to have to replace you. If you're a coach, you get in the SEC coaching carousel, we see that coaches are absolutely not irreplaceable. But there's only one aspect in your life that you are truly irreplaceable. You can only be the only, you are the first and most important person in a child's life. Nobody else can be biological dad. Nobody else can be biological mom. You are irreplaceable in that role. Another way that we see that having children affects us emotionally in a positive way is our human emotions seem to always celebrate pregnancy when we realize the value of it. It is significantly proven that women who view their ultrasounds, who are considering abortion, are much less likely to go forward with the abortion. And why is this? It's because God designed our souls to see children as a good thing. In our souls, in the design of God, children are intended to be a good thing. They encourage our emotional status. They remind us of what is pure and good in the world. Children are good in the sight of God. Another way we see in our world that you can see that having children is a good thing is for the economic well-being of a nation. It shouldn't surprise us from a purely secular standpoint that having children is the foundation for a good economic future of a nation. It's by no mistake that in Genesis 1, that God's command to Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply was followed by his command for them to subdue and take dominion over the earth. Because it's always been the design of God that we get more done with more people. You've ever heard that statement, many hands make light work? And that is true. We accomplish more with more people. My stepdad, Randy Ball, I love him to death, and uh, he grew up in Marshall County, grew up And the poultry business, uh, whether it was chicken houses or doing eggs, and just many different ways. And it was a he was part of a very large family. He was one of the youngest in a very large family, and he laughs about the fact that every time that brothers and sisters were born, is that the business grew, you know, the, the the business expanded. There were more hands on deck to serve. And the truth is, that's true even for nations. In October of 2021, the Federal Reserve Bank in Dallas commented on the correlation between birth rates and the economy. And this is what it said. This is the Federal Reserve Bank. It says, lower birth rates are associated with less growth in a more rapidly aging population, and hence, slower economic expansion. Lower birth rates are always connected with slower economic expansion. We see this in the world today in countries like Japan and China, where there is a real fear today a fastly coming a day where there are more retired people than working people in these nations. This would ultimately cause an economic catastrophe when you've got a smaller amount of people trying to work to provide for a larger amount of people. This is such a real threat in the nation of China that for decades has had the one-child-only policy, a very grievous and, 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 and deplorable policy in the eyes of God, that now China is trying to invite children to have three children per family. They're trying to encourage that. And why is that? Because anywhere in society where you see God's design overturned, it never comes without consequences. Anytime that a nation starts to see babies as a burden and not a blessing, the downfall of that nation is not far behind. And church family, the birth rates in America are drastically decreasing. Also, how many of you remember when the pandemic happened? How many COVID babies we were talking about was going to take place? You know, we were talking about this big boom. You know, it was like those seasons. Uh, y'all remember the winter storm of '93 and everybody talked about the winter storm babies? You know, you didn't have nothing else to do, sitting at home. You know, so. You know what's funny and sad at the same time is that that has not happened in COVID. The research shows that that has not happened. There has not been a big birth. There's not been a big boom of babies and children for multiple reasons. And one of those reasons is because that we have begun to downplay and see babies as a burden and not a blessing. Question number three, and this is probably the most important for us this morning. Why do we need to teach the next generation that God desires humanity to have children and celebrate having children. Let me give you three reasons. First, we must teach our children that God desires humanity to have children because more people are choosing to abandon the idea of having children than ever before. The idea of parenting being more of a burden than a blessing can be seen in a CNBC article that was released uh, just a few years ago. And this is what it says. It says that parents and non-parents have similar levels of life satisfaction but parents experience both more daily joy and more daily stress than non-parents. The expert that they quoted in this opinion said this: Life without children is much more stable. Now, this statement should grieve us this morning as Christians. Now, embedded in this research is the honest confession that parenting does bring struggles and stresses. Can I get an amen to that today? But those who are parents do also experience more daily joy than non-parents. Then the article then kind of subtly advocates for less children by saying, having children, people who don't have children, their life just seems to be much more stable. This is an idea that is being promoted to the next generation that is encouraging them not to have children, and it is working. And the stats are showing us that. Today, Americans are having less children, Americans are waiting longer to have children and Americans are abandoning having children altogether. Pew Research said that the number of people ages 18 to 49 years old who were not parents and said that they would not have children or were likely to not have children in the days ahead has drastically risen. In 2018, 37% of people in their childbearing years who were not children said that they Never planned on becoming parents. This was 2018. You know what that is today in 2021? 44%. Almost half of Americans in childbearing years today are saying that they will not or are most likely not ever to have children. Again, this should grieve us. And This is taking place for a lot of reasons. Let me give you a few reasons why that's people are abandoning the idea of having children. First, young people are not having children for financial reasons. While the responsibility to get married and provide for your children is absolutely a, a God-honorable thing, the reality is, is that the next generation has far greater financial expectations than the previous generations that are built around materialism and not around responsibility. The next generation feels like they need at the beginning of their life everything that their parents have had at the middle or the end of their life. And because of that, they are waiting on having children or abandoning the idea of having children altogether. We don't see many young families anymore bringing children home to starter homes. they got to wait until they have a forever home before they bring their children home. The next generation is rapidly seeing God's command to be fruitful and multiply and replacing it with be few and make money. And this should be grievous to us today. Also, more young people are not having children for fun reasons. The idea that children are more of a burden than a blessing is something that, that they are saying, of the, the, the thought process being advocated, that don't have children because it's going to keep you from doing the things that are truly fun and fulfilling in your life. Philadelphia writer Gina Toman wrote about millennials' view of parenting saying this, millennials like to be unencumbered, And their economic experiences have made them question what makes a successful and meaningful life. Maybe a full, rich life is one that's overflowing with creativity, with travel, with exploration. All stuff that kids make more difficult. The problem with this idea is for us as Christians is first, we recognize that a meaningful life starts in a genuine relationship with Jesus. Not travel, not creativity, not money. This is where satisfaction comes in him and him alone, And then that satisfaction is magnified and sustained through participation in the things that God says are good, such as becoming parents. It appears that many in the next generation are buying into the lie that satisfaction in life comes from sources that truly won't satisfy. And the sad thing is, and what I'm afraid for this next generation, is that they will look back years from now when the season of childbearing years is gone and they will realize that they have bought into a lie. Also, more young people are not having children because of fornication outside of marriage. There's a biblical word we don't hear a whole lot anymore. It's clear from all stats that married people tend to have significantly higher birth rates than people who are not married. More married people have more babies than more non-married people. However, birth rates are falling in America because people are getting married less. According to Pew Research, in America today, 59% of adults age 18 to 44 have lived with an unmarried partner, while only 50% of those in the same age range have ever been married. Essentially, this means that significantly more people are deciding to live together than ever get married. This lets us know that not only is it more publicly acceptable for the next generation to see sex outside of marriage as a common or good practice, but it also shows us that in these situations, fewer people are allowing themselves to become pregnant. We are, parents, one of the best ways that we can help the next generation celebrate children and having children is to celebrate God's design for sexuality being that which is only acceptable inside the bounds of marriage. Church family, we have to hold the line on this. No sexual activity is permissible in the eyes of God outside of marriage. If we cave on that, then we might as well cave on everything else. And as the culture continues to see cohabitation as the natural means that leads to marriage, if marriage is ever even to be considered, I will say to you here this morning, again, if you're in that situation, God still loves you, he's not, he's not giving up on you, but you are living in a design, in a lifestyle that is outside of the will of God, and there's only two ways to get out of that situation and get right before God, which is to get married or get separated. And God may be calling some of you to do that today. I can't tell you how many weddings that I've done in my office. And there's not a thing in the world wrong with that today. If you're in this place this morning and you say, Pastor Zach, I want my life and my family to come under the authority of God, then you've got to give Him full reign in every aspect of your life. And finally, more young people are not having children because of faults or wrong reasons. Recent studies have shown that at least 5% of people who are choosing not to have children are doing so as a means of saving the environment. Not only is this an unproven means to cure an unproven problem, it also elevates the earth as having priority over man, which is contradictory to God's design. While God's people, we absolutely should steward the earth well, people mean more than the planet. As Christians, we must teach our children that loving Jesus and doing the things that He designed is where joy comes from. And part of that means that we should celebrate them one day becoming parents, becoming husbands and wives, and becoming parents. We must now begin training our children and preparing them to one day raise children. It should be one of our greatest joys for our children in the days ahead. We should look at our sons and speak to our sons about the day that they become fathers. We should look at our daughters and speak to them about the day that they become mothers. And also, we need to set this as one of the greatest priorities of their life. Parents in Western society, we celebrate often the things that God doesn't make that big of a deal over. We celebrate the fact that you can, we want our kids to go to college We want them to get educated and we want them to to succeed. We want them to make money. We want them to do all these things that the world says is really important. Can I say something to you this morning? None of those things even comes close to the importance of them being a mom or a dad. We should celebrate that above all things. I'll tell you another area that this could be important for us. If we really want to celebrate that, then we need to be very careful before God of discouraging our kids from getting married early. And having children early. A lot of that comes from the fact that we'll say to our kids, hey, wait till you get out of college before you get married. Or wait until you've got a career before you start having kids and those things. And we're putting standards on things that are not God's. We need to be careful about that. Secondly, we must teach our children that God desires humanity to have children because our culture is consistently seeing abortion as something that should be celebrated. In recent years alone, the acceptance of abortion has turned to an even darker celebration of abortion. The pro-choice line used to be in America that they advocated for abortion to be safe, legal, and rare. And while I absolutely believe that that statement is still wrong, it sounds conservative today compared to most people's view of abortion, where abortion is celebrated. Nothing was seen probably any darker than what we saw in the state of New York on January 22, 2019, where the New York legislature passed a law that made abortion legal without question up until 24 weeks of pregnancy. And then beyond 24 weeks of pregnancy, they made abortion still possible and with only the need of a doctor or health provider's consent. And when this law went into effect, the halls of government there in Albany, New York, where all these legislatures and all these state representatives, when the law was passed, almost the entire room stood to their feet and clapped and shouted with joy like you would see at a football game, somebody scoring a big touchdown. It was a great victory. And I cannot imagine anything that is more demonic than I have ever seen in my life. All throughout biblical history, we see evil playing a part in the death of children. The devil hates children because they bear the image of God. We see the death of Hebrew boys in the days of Moses. We see the death of Jewish boys in Jerusalem at the hand of Herod. We see death to the pagan gods in the Old Testament where they would offer their children to these pagan gods as, pagan, as, as sacrifices. And I believe that same demonic spirit that was at work then is still at work today. And we have to be aware of This morning and consistently biblical in the fact we talked about a few weeks ago in Genesis 1. When God first said he was going to create man in his image. This is the conception of creation. And then later we see that he actually did that. He formed from the dust of the earth Adam and breathed into him the breath of life. That man already had the image of God before even conception. God's image is given at the moment of conception. As soon as there's life, God is there. The womb is holy ground. Parents, we must teach our children that life begins at conception. And that though it is abortion is not unforgivable, it is an abomination in the sight of God. And that personal autonomy over your body does not mean that you have the permission to take God off the throne. It may be your body, but God designed your womb. And God is the author of life. And it's not unforgivable. I had a church member come up to me after the first service and looked at me and said, Pastor Zach, at 16, I had an abortion. And I'm so thankful that God has forgiven me of that. And now one of the ways that I use this broken moment in my life is I counsel with young women and young girls who are considering abortion. God has the ability to bring beauty from ashes. And so if you're there this morning, God still brings forgiveness and grace and mercy. Let me give you a little side note here, thing that's very important. Church members, also want you to know, you know, we have a real chance in America this summer to see Roe versus Wade cast down. It's the first time in decades that we've had this kind of opportunity with a conservative court that is there right now and with a case that is coming out of the state of Mississippi that they will hear arguments on this situation and there is a real possibility that Roe versus Wade could end forever the federal sanction of abortions in America. Can we pray and praise God that that would be the case? We should absolutely pray that that would be the case. But I would say here and you see it other states in liberal states right now, they are preparing, they are codifying, they are putting in their laws where abortion is always protected. Because if Roe versus Wade is cast down, abortions do not become illegal all across the nation. It then goes back to the state level. So then states have the right to... To do that, and so yes, if, a boy, if Roe versus Wade is cast down in Alabama and in Mississippi and other places that have these types of laws where abortion would be considered illegal, is that that would be the case? But in other places, they would still remain intact. But if that's the case, and praise God that that would be the case, then again, if that happens this summer, then nine months from now, a year from now, what would happen statistically in our nation is people are not going to stop having babies. Is that there will be an abundance of children that were born into situations that previously would have been aborted. And in those situations, the need for Christian families to adopt, the need for Christian families to foster, the need for the believers to step up would be drastically needed. And so the truth is, church, we've been saying for years that we believed in life and that we were pro-life and we've been believing for God to break this law in our nation and now we're going to have to put our money where our mouth is. And so if we're going to believe in the design of God, that God loves children and loves having children, regardless of the situation that they are born in the image of God, then that means all of us are in this. And I would say to some of our empty nestered and retired people here today, that doesn't mean that you get to pass this off to every other young couple who they've got kids in the home, why not add a few more? That means if you've already raised your kids, it just means you've got empty bedrooms. And that's for every one of us. My heart would be how beautiful and glorious would it be if two years from now, three years from now, we're having to build extra children's buildings here at Enon Baptist Church because we've had so many adults who believe in life that are stepping up and saying, yes, bring those children to us. We will love them. We will train them up. We will point them to Jesus and that we're the go-to place. This is a need for all of us. And then lastly, finally, parents, we must teach our children. That God desires humanity to have children because having children is one of the greatest ways to advance the gospel. I love Psalms 127. It says there in verse 3, Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of a womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Parents, one of the greatest ways that we can impact the world with the gospel of Jesus is to raise up Jesus-loving children that we can shoot out into the world as missionaries and lights for the gospel right where we are. One of the greatest ways that you can reach the next generation, that you can impact the gospel with lost people around us is to send out our children as missionaries into the world. So again, be fruitful and multiply. Go and make some missionaries. Go and send out some godly children to go love and impact this world. Can we give the Lord a big hand? Praise Him for the truth of His word this morning. I want to ask uh, Brother Ron to come and start playing. For us here as we prepare to close, and I was praying this last week on um, and how to end a message like this. Again, first and foremost, I, I, I want to offer our pastors here today who would love to pray with people who are struggling. You would love to have more children, but you're struggling in that area. I'd also love to offer this morning to pray for those who maybe you missed this season of life. Maybe it appears like, and again, I've seen God do some incredible things, but it it appears like you're beyond the childbearing years. And you've got missed opportunities, and you grieve that. Maybe you dealt with some sin or even some strongholds in that. There's some struggles. Can I say with you here this morning, again, you can bring that to the Lord today. And maybe you can ask God, say, God, what does it look like for me and my family to be fruitful and multiply? It may be adoption. It may be foster care. It may be respite care. You can help some families in these areas. Maybe you can bring those things to the Lord right there where you are. So we want to minister to you here this morning. We believe the Lord wants to minister to you. But the last thing I want to end on today is God loves children. He loves having children. And every time a child is birthed into into this world, brought into this world, is that a child comes and is bearing the image of God. You know what? God loves having children so much as he used it as an illustration to talk about people who are being born into his kingdom. Jesus said when people come into a relationship with Christ, he must be born again. So all of us, we've all had the first birth. If you want to come into a relationship with Jesus, God wants to give you a second birth and to make you a child of God. Scripture says this morning, as many as received Him, to those He gave the right to become children of God, to those who would believe upon His name. Maybe this morning this message didn't really pertain to your life, but this part does, that you need to be born again. You need Jesus to come into your heart and life, and right there where you are, He can. We got to celebrate baptism this morning The picture of an old man is gone. That's what baptism is a picture of. And the new man has come. Maybe you need to experience that this morning. As we conclude with a time of prayer here, would you pray, if that's you today, and call out and say, Jesus, I want you to save me. I want to give my life to you. I want to be born again. I want a new start in you. He'll save you right there where you are. Maybe you'd bow your head even right there where you are and pray this prayer with me to the Lord. Maybe you'd say, Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus, I don't know you, but I want to know you. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, and I ask you to save me. Come into my heart and life, Jesus. Is that you this morning? If you called out to Jesus to save you, then there's a couple of ways we would love to be able to follow up with you today. You can just come see me at the conclusion of the service. Come right here to the back. I've got a little box for you. It's called a new believer's box. I'd love to put one of those in your hands. You can come forward here in a few moments. Let one of our pastors pray for you. You can be as discreet as just writing it on that card in the next few moments in front of you, that connect card. You can mark that I gave my life to Jesus. But today, if you called out to Him, I believe that God can save you, and we'd love to follow up with you on that. If you'd like to become a member of this church as we conclude again you feel free to come forward take one of our pastors by the hand and say I'd love to make Enon my church home if you are a follower of Christ but you've never been baptized feel free to come in these next few moments and we would love to celebrate that with you in the days ahead but however God is moving you respond to him. I'm going to ask you to stand right there where you are dear Lord Jesus I pray would you move and work in the hearts and lives of your people today for your name and glory in Jesus name Amen feel free to come now if you need to come